be curious, it requires you to be present. And I don't believe many people are present in their conversations, which is why it becomes so easy to go reactive and make up the stories in our head and start emotionally reacting. Where the beauty for me and curiosity is particularly in conversations is that it forces you to be present. You're listening to The Occupational Philosophers with Simon Banks and John Rice. And welcome to another episode of The Occupational Philosophers, the not-so-serious business podcast to spark creativity, curiosity and imagination. As always, it's a pleasure to be joined by my co-host, John Rice from the UK. John, what's caught your curious eye this week? Hey, Simon. What's caught my curious eye this week? I'm going to have to put my curious glasses on here so I can read it. I have a little cutting from a magazine here in the UK and it caught my eye because it's talking about uh, rage rooms or smash it up rooms that are really becoming quite popular. (laughs) And in this particular place, stressed out workers are increasingly venting their anger in specially designed rage rooms. And in Norwich in the UK, A firm that rents out rooms full of smashable objects that can be clubbed to pieces says it's never been busier. (laughs) And it says, says because as noted by the manager, Gemma, she said, people have a real reason to come in and it's not just for fun anymore. (laughs) So I I thought that was quite a strange idea. I hadn't quite heard of that before, but I'm now going, oh, I I quite fancy that. And I was just wondering what objects would be best to smash, whether it would be sort of a huge watermelon or whether you need something to make a real sound like ceramics or wood. <laughs> Any preference? I always used to envisage smashing up a brand new house when I was younger. Oh, I right. always used to imagine this, like imagine going into it, like having the license with a baseball bat or a cricket bat and then just go in and smash it up. So, I, yeah, I think, I don't know, anything. Yeah, anything. Watermelon would be great. Well, then, also, and then you know, and then of course you'd impact. have to choose your your implement to smash things with. I'm I'm imagining a baseball bat, but I don't know why. But I mean, I suppose you could be smashing golf club. a golf club. Yeah, very good. So a golf yeah. club and a watermelon, that would be your preference there. Okay, I'll let you know how it goes. Oh, very good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think you need it. I do need it. After this week, I need it, and it's only Tuesday. How about you, Simon? What's been happening? What's caught well, your John? Eye? I was I was. Driving up the freeway uh, on a long trip for work, and I went past a caravan, and on the back of the caravan it said New Age Caravans, which made me think, how do you define New Age? Like, when does it start? When does it finish? I know we've touched on this before, but, like, if a caravan's New Age, like, how, why, what? Like, you know, what what does it, if New Age was in the 60s, as we've said before, what age are we in now? When did the old age finish or start? So what you think this caravan's I having? It, I, I, <laughs> caravan having an identity crisis. Yeah, I'm not sure. So uh, <laughs> I thought about it for about three hours on that trip, and I didn't come to any other conclusions. So. <laughs> Is this because you were stuck behind it all the way? A lot of the way, yeah. So anyway, John, when is the new and old age starting and beginning? So that's been my little thought of the week. But look, enough of new age, old age. Let's talk about the current age. And this is a double guest episode this week, John. Who are the curious cats we have on our show? Well, Simon, I'm going to introduce you to a fabulously interesting double guest episode today because... Our guests don't just work together, they share a very special bond of being mother and daughter. 
So that's I, that, that's a real interesting angle we have today. And <laughs> first of all, let me introduce mum, as we would say in the UK. You might say mom in the US I don't know, or Canada. I don't know what you'd say in Australia, but um, she's the co-founder of the Institute of Curiosity, which is a boutique coaching and consulting firm. And that's been creating a unique conversation framework, which is rooted in curiosity. And it's helping professionals and leaders stay curious, even when they might be in quite difficult situations or situations of conflict. She's also the co-author of The Power of Curiosity, which is about how to have real conversations that create collaboration, innovation, and understanding. She is an executive coach, a speaker, consultant, facilitator, team builder, and innovator. And when she's not doing all of this, I understand she enjoys hiking, skiing, kayaking, and sharing delicious food and wine with family and friends, which sounds like the latter part definitely appeals. The rest of it sounds exhausting. Welcome to Kathy Taberna. Hello, Kathy. Thank you, John. <laughs> it's fun to Kath- be here. <laughs> and Kathy is joined by her daughter, Kirsten Siggins. Now, Kirsten began her journey working in the entertainment industry alongside the likes of Warner Music and AOL, American Idol. And after qualifying as an executive coach, she began coaching executives in the entertainment industry. And that created a few aha moments for Kirsten, as she uh, noted. First, about when professionals are kind of under pressure and their back's up against the wall, they hear their parents' voice coming out. And uh, they don't know that they're doing it sometimes. And even when they do, it's not something they want to do. They know it doesn't work. They know it's inefficient. So that was one of those realizations. And secondly, that professionals don't get curious, they get furious, which I think is a lovely phrase. Uh, They aren't taught those effective communication or conversation skills or conflict resolution skills. They're simply expected to know how to do them and do them well. You can probably guess that Kirsten is the other co-founder of the Institute of Curiosity, along with her mum, Kathy, and is also the co-author of the book, The Power of Curiosity. Uh, Kirsten is herself a TEDx speaker and has published articles on effective communication and particularly communication skills as a parent, which I'm sure we'll touch on at some point. Kirsten is a curiosity nerd, a wannabe chef, an adventurer who loves a full table and all things design. Welcome, Kirsten. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. So let's go to both of you. What's caught your curious eye this week? Well, I had a really, as I mentioned earlier, I live out on the lake and it's a very twisty road along the cliffside of the lake that I travel when I come in. And yesterday I had the misfortune of being behind a driver who was not at their best. And I don't know what influence they're under, but but the snow on the back of the window said, nice parking. And my curiosity was, is this per- is someone being sarcastic? Did he park re- in a really, <laughs> some amazing way? And as he's veering all over the road, I'm thinking, you know, so that was mine. He, in a bizarre way, provided some entertainment until he realized a deer stepped out. He slammed on the brakes and I, he must have had a, a moment of reality and put on his flashing lights and pulled off as soon as he could. So he realized he shouldn't have been driving. But up until that time, yeah, my curiosity was 
So what does that mean? You know, where, how was he parked? Where was he? Did that, that, yes. <laughs> you went off on quite a, quite a sort of flight there, didn't you, Kathy? I was, I was just thinking that could be a good way to uh, give someone feedback, couldn't it? You could just leave it on their car back windscreen after work. <laughs> Well, my, Rubbish my manager. sense is that's exactly what happened. Yeah, yeah. Well, the snow was beginning to melt, so I had it took me five minutes to figure out it said nice parking. <laughs> but then once I figured that out, because the letters had all mushed down in together. <laughs> you could, like you said, John, you could wander down to the car park and put post-it notes on the back of everyone's car. <laughs> Need to do a little better presentation. <laughs> a little boring. Okay. Uh, looking a bit rough today. So. <laughs> <laughs> Why wait for snow? Maybe shave tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're starting a movement. And thank you for kicking that off. So, <laughs> All right. Uh, Kirsten, what's caught your curious eye this week? You know what? I think because of American Thanksgiving, I keep receiving emails about manifesting, manifestation, everything around manifesting. And so I'm just, it's sort of a deep dive that I'm looking more into. I'm curious to learn more about. And I just feel like the universe is sending me a sign because my <laughs> inbox is full of messages on how to manifest and be a manifester. <laughs> so there, that's what I'm learning about. And I'm curious to learn more. That is right. I yeah. like that. Now, that sounds like a bit of a tautology, or something where you've been manifesting about wanting to get messages about manifesting, and it's worked. Right. <laughs> Apparently, I could go really deep with it. I haven't gone that deep with it yet, but I just feel like I have received the message, and now I will go deeper. <laughs> Have to explore. Now, where are you both in the world today? We're in Kelowna, British Columbia, Canada. We're in the interior of British Columbia. There are mountains. We're between two ranges of mountains. So we have high hills, low mountains, wineries. It's the wine, I would say the wine region of Canada, although Eastern Canada might disagree with me. The tree fruit for pretty well all of Canada is here, at least for Western Canada. So it's a place of bounty and a big and a 110 kilometer long lake. Talking to... The introduction I gave, I mean, there's such a vast amount that was in that for both of you in terms of what you do and how you've sort of co-founded the Institute of Curiosity and the book, et cetera, and the work that you do. But uh, how would you describe what you do? For, I would say that we give people effective communication skills, effective conversation skills, so they can be confident in any conversation and have hard conversations with ease. That was nice and succinct there as well, wasn't it? That's great. That's, that's proof that you're very good at here, John. Yeah. I, I caught you off guard. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I get it. I could put that on, I could write that in snow on my back windscreen as well, probably. That's great. No, we hope you do. So, look, building on that, what are your intersections? If this is the crossover of three or four things, what do you think those things are? That's a great question. We've never talked about intersections. I mean, the one that comes up for me, I guess, you know, is conflict and understanding, because that's where I see curiosity bridges that intersection. But we've never really put a lot of thought into it. What would you say? I think that's the main one, because yeah. an understanding is what I believe most of us don't do. And we all have our own perspectives on things. And my perspective is my perspective. And everyone else has the same perspective. And so when anyone is telling me anything, I hear it through the way I am and which gives it a certain way of, of my understanding of creating understanding for me. 
the reality is the other person may be saying something totally different. And if I don't ask questions, if I'm not curious, I'm not going to really understand what they're saying. And if I don't, we're never going to intersect. <laughs> so for me, I think it's that intersect to understand. And it doesn't matter if you're working with leaders or with a team or with parents and children, with relations, friends, it doesn't matter. That's the key piece right there is that intersection. We'll talk to it a bit more as we come through today, but conflict, but high stress situations where there's high stakes, is that something that's particularly part of this? It's being able to sort of make your way through, as it were, I'm going to do the inverted commas or the inverted rabbit ears of difficult situations, difficult conversations, being able to hold those in an effective way and still get to understanding. Would that be one of the real key areas for you? I mean, curiosity, the only way that you can get a curiosity or get understanding is through curiosity. And you can't have conflict when you have understanding. Mm -hmm. I think the piece that when you said earlier, you know, to be curious and not furious, when we get stuck in our own perspective and the need to be right, and we get into those kinds of conversations that create conflict, it's like we judge, we blame, we shame, and we try to convince because we want to be heard. But when we can get to that place of, okay, I need to better understand what's going on for the other person. That's that changes the dynamic completely. That's where you find common ground and you you don't have to like what you hear or agree with what you hear. The goal is to understand so you can find that common ground and move forward in a way that's effective for both people. I was having lunch with one of our previous guests yesterday, Mike Parsons, and we're talking around the world of uh, human-centered design and this piece around empathy, which is putting yourself in other people's shoes, which has a high degree of curiosity. And he Mm -hmm. says, uh, going to your point, he said, most executives, their piece is push this stuff across the line. You're going to drive it. You're going to make this stuff happen. So to stand back and be highly curious about others isn't something they've been often trained to do. Your role is to steamroll that through, you know, come uh, hell or high water or whatever that may be. So that being curious bit and standing back can be a real shift. Does that sort of reflect out in what with the work you do? Yes. And well, just to your example, if you're working for me and I say, look, you've got to do that. I don't care how you do it. You've got to get it done by Friday. And I'm pushing you and pushing you and pushing you. That's one approach. And you're thinking, hmm, and you're not really happy, but you'll do it because you have to in your job. Or I can say, I can start asking you questions, get curious around it. So by Friday, I need such and such. What do you need to do this? How long, you know, I love it, that kind of thing. So you're, you're not only you're figuring out for you how best to do it. Instead of me just saying, I don't care, just get it done, which is going to put you into stress and into more of a negative cortisol closed down place. When I'm curious with you, it's going to open up to possibility. You're going to look at different ways that you could get it done and you're going to own it. And so then when I say at the end of this curious conversation, okay, so, you know, what do you need from me? And can we check in on Thursday afternoon to see how it's coming? Because it needs to be done by Friday. You're agreeing to that. There's an accountability piece that is woven into it that um, you just, you're part of. It's not that I'm telling you what to do. We're creating a solution together. And if you say, no, I don't think it can be done by Friday, or I don't think it's reasonable to do this, or that's not really what you want, 
then, okay, what do we need? You know, what I see is such and such. My solution is this. How do you see us solving that problem in another way? And so there's, there's an opportunity for innovation for that person to be part of the solution instead of just having it dumped on them to get it done. Now, building on that question, would you say great communication and curious communication is at the heart of innovation? I personally think so, because I think that curiosity is what allows opportunities that you would never think of or consider to present themselves. Part of, you know, this idea of innovation is it's collecting data points and different perspectives from people. What have you done? What have you done? How has this worked? How has this worked? Taking all those data points and then figuring out how to move forward in a new way by using all those data points, right? By collaborating and then creating those new opportunities and perspectives and ways of doing things. If we don't collect those data points, and I think this is one of the struggles that we've seen with the supercomputers in our pockets, is that you know we can do all the research that we need to do, but we're processing that through our own data points. So we're taking that research, but we're processing it through our own lens and our own data points. And then when we share it with others, if people disagree with what we're saying, instead of being open to listening to understand what their data points are, their experiences or perspective or what have you, we just get stuck in, no, I know everything. So we know more, but we understand less. And that's where we get stuck. And we are, it's hard to innovate when you don't have, I think, you, if you don't have that understanding of those different data points, it's really difficult to innovate. And curiosity allows you to be open to possibility, which is innovation. And when you're telling and controlling and you're closing it down and you have to be right. I think both of us would say that you need to be curious to innovate. Well, I think it's like, so I see curiosity as one thing. You can be curious in your life, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you have curious conversations. And I think curious, specifically being curious in your conversations is key to innovation. It's a nice link, as you say, isn't it? Because it, there's something in some of the texts that I've read around your own work, particularly in the book as well, which we'll come to as well, is this idea of intentionality you know, setting the intention to be curious in your communication, setting your intention to be present as you go into these conversations. We're taught this. But is it true? It's, it's about bringing this front of mind to go in with an intention to be curious across not just the conversation, but your desire for understanding. It's all got to be intentional, isn't it? I think it's a choice that we always get to make. And that always lands like, I don't know about you, but for me, it always kind of lands like a lead balloon where people are just like, what do you mean? You know, especially if you get into a hard conversation with somebody, they make me feel this way. They're making me do this. And what I've learned through all of this is we always have a choice in how we want to show up. We can't control the chaos around us. We can only control how we show up to that chaos. So we can choose to focus on ourselves and have that inward spiral and become emotionally reactive and think there's only one way and one whatever and be right. Or we can choose to better understand the person we're with and be curious to learn about their perspective. I think where it can get tricky is somehow there's been messaging where understanding somebody means liking and agreeing with, and that's not what we're talking about. You can understand somebody's perspective and what their experience is without liking and agreeing with it. And that's what Kathy and I talk about. That's what the curiosity skills help you do. Better understand somebody's perspective and where they're coming from to help you build that common ground. But I think 
somehow we've confused that where we think understanding is liking and agreeing with. And if they don't like and agree what I have to say, then they're never going to understand me. And I just don't believe that's true. Do you, um, presumably, it's difficult to get to examples where this stuff's going on in politics, for example, or something like this? The, <laughs> the, need, the need to convince, <laughs> be right. <laughs> yeah. Let's go into that la- later on. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's this idea that, like, everything, that two things can't be true, right? Where it's like, if I'm right, then Kathy can't be right, or you can't be right or my truth is not your truth. It's like, it's this whole idea that we have to just better understand people's perspective. So I can still have my truth and my understanding, but that doesn't mean it's going to be the same as Kathy's or the same as yours. We all have different experience and lenses we bring to the table. So, you know, there's a a psychologist in New York, Dr. Becky Kennedy, I think her name is, and her whole thing is two things can be true. So from a parent's perspective, it is, I can be a good parent and I can yell at my kids. You know, my kids can make super questionable choices, but that doesn't make them, they can still be really great kids. And we've become siloed where we, you know, like politics and things where we put that line in the sand where it's kind of like, I'm right, I'm right. And if my truth, therefore it's the truth. And we get confused where we all have our own version of the truth. It doesn't make it the truth. And that's what understanding is helpful, where we can connect that bridge to build those relationships. Again, though, but that's what's so good about Twitter. It helps us iron these kind of problems out. (laughs) (laughs) So, Kathy, Kirsten, obviously one of the key things we want to talk about is your book, The Power of Curiosity. I wondered if you could give us an overview of the book, the essence of the book, and also why this became such an important theme for you both to explore. Maybe what were some of those moments, those things that were a catalyst for this to emerge as your opus majus? Is that the word? <laughs> but something that really became something that became central and pillar to your to the work that you do. I, that part I can start because I think probably that was more me than yeah. than Kirsten. She came in a little later. I was working in developing strategies and disability management, found too often employees left work for a tiny, tiny thing. And then they were ill for whatever reason and getting them back to work was a challenge. So I realized that leadership was a huge piece in employees being at least satisfied with their jobs, being engaged, being healthy, whatever. And the way employers or managers communicate with their employees was not particularly effective. So I became a coach and through that learned a lot about communication skills. And then I started teaching a communication program in healthcare in BC. And what I learned was that it's the skills that are really the piece that's so important that we can use all the time. And those are the skills that we have in the book. So I took it away from coaching. And that's when I started talking to Kirsten about it. She was going through coaching. And I realized that it's really profound that we begin to understand others, which is what a coach does. And that that's something that we need to do in a lot more parts of our lives. And it's a piece that managers need to do with employees. It's a piece that is needed everywhere. And so the more I explored that with the workshops that I was doing, the more it went into the parent round because the participants would go home and and start being curious with their family. And kids would say to them, 
Dad, thank you. That's the best conversation we've ever had. Or what happened to you? I could actually talk to you or, you know, whatever, depending on their age. And so I thought, you know, we've, there's something here. And then we started, we had a couple of experiences where people, nurses were talking to doctors, really lots of conflict. And they decided going into it, they would be curious. And they came out the other end in agreeing with the path forward with the physician around a certain patient. And we were all, well, what happened? <laughs> and why was this so powerful in conflict? So then Kirsten was drawn more and more into this because it was it just sounded so interesting. And that was when we started looking at it in both our lives and in terms of what we were doing. I'm beginning to really understand how fundamental it is to living a life where we test assumptions. You know, every in my coaching practice now still people will say well yeah but when he said so such and such it really made me angry and I walked out so what were you curious about what do you mean I wasn't curious about anything let's walk through what could you have been curious about and then they start digging through and realizing that in all these conversations if they had asked an open question it would have changed their response and it would have changed the course of the conversation so we've just built on that and played with it over the years and it became a book. I love that. I love the idea that you just replay the situation and go, okay, rather than fly off the handle or say what you said or walk out the door at that moment, if you've chosen to ask a question, that's, that's very powerful, isn't it? Simple, but no doubt difficult for people to do until they start to get coached through this, but incredibly powerful. Yeah. Love it. And, and it works. And I find now whenever there's any kind of emotion, if I just go to a what or a how question, it changes. And the, the, now the neuroscience, just before we were publishing our book, it was found in the States, the neuroscience was supporting the fact that when we start collaborating with another in conversation, dopamine is released. And so when we ask a question, dopamine is released. The second question, do, uh, dopamine and oxytocin are both released. So I get a wash of, ooh, I'm feeling much better instead of getting into that tension. And my hunch is that the contagion goes to the other person and the same thing happens. So you're de-escalating. You get to a point where you can begin to understand and then you can move from there. I suppose it depends on the question though, because if the question is someone's having an argument with you, why don't you go jump off a cliff? It's a question, <laughs> but it's the wrong question, isn't it? So we've got to be careful here. Uh, yeah. Okay. I need more coaching. <laughs> you could... A little less judging, a little more curious on the question. <laughs> you could curiously reply, in what manner would you like me to do? Like a full-fledged a full jump or maybe just a stumble? Or, it's like question you know, ping So there, there is possibility, John. Yeah. <laughs> now, I, I really like this idea of just – reframing this it's often like we we think around i guess communication I've, I've never made the link between curiosity and communication as i've never heard it said around that way but it, it's so it's such a perfect fit but just that piece around coming with that state of being curious to your conversations i think it's such a nice uh i guess piece of uh, being present or sort of reimagining the way you you just show up and being curious that it feels like a great enabler, like it's sort of one of those things like walk with wonder or just, you know, open your eyes and open your ears. So 
yeah, there's so much. That's more a statement than a question. So uh, I sometimes struggle with these. So John will be, <laughs> I'll speak for five minutes. People go, what? <laughs> so, but that idea of coming coming and being curious seems like a, a, such a nice thing to to have. I think just to piggyback up on that statement, what I would say, one of the things that I found most powerful about this is that to be curious, it requires you to be present. And I don't believe many people are present in their conversations, which is why it becomes so easy to go reactive and make up the stories in our head and start emotionally reacting. Where the beauty for me and curiosity is particularly in conversations is that it forces you to be present. Where you're in the moment with the person that you're talking to, you're giving them your time and attention. And for me, that was such a game changer because I was so caught up in my to-do list. I was so caught up in getting things done and solving problems and things that I, you know, thought were really helpful in life and, and what I got hired to do. And then when I had kids, it's like they were in the backseat and, and I'd pick them up from school and they're sharing parts of their day. And all I can hear is the ticker tape in my head of the things I haven't done and the emails I haven't sent. And what am I getting for dinner? And where are we picking this up and what's happening? And I am missing all of the magic of my kids and what they're sharing with me because I'm not present. And this happens in every conversation. If we aren't setting that intention to be present, which is not something that we intentionally set normally going into conversations, but if you can just say, what am I going to be curious about? It's going to help you be present so you can actively listen and better understand what's going on for the person you're talking to. And quite honestly, if we don't want to understand and be present with the person we're talking to, why are we talking to them? <laughs> because like, what kind of a relationship is that going to build, right? So I think it kind of helps strip and tease it back to remind us, like, what are we here for? Why are we having these conversations and setting those intentions? Because it, it is really beautiful. I agree with you. It's, it's a totally different way of living. You mentioned be present building off of what Simon was saying there, Kirsten. And having read the book, what I like is there is a real simplicity to it. I, You've got the three curiosity skills. You build out the be present with the absorb acronym. You can get your head around it really quickly and you can actually just, I can be holding those in my mind going into a conversation, actually. I can imagine it's immediately useful because it wasn't overcomplicated. So I, th I thought it was a great book. The, the be present was the first skill. Absorb, I'm sure you can talk to that in a second. You've also then got the um, choosing how to listen which was new for me. And I thought that was really interesting as well. Having a, asked a question and being present or whatever, what, how do I listen to what's then being said so I get to that level of understanding that we're looking for? And then you talk about curious, open questions. Do you want to share a little bit more about that, that, that framework and maybe broaden out the ABSORB acronym for us? Because I thought that was great. And the B, which is Becalm Your Gremlins, chimes with some of the stuff we've talked about before, which is fear that can often hold people back from being curious. I've asked about seven questions in, uh, in yeah, one. Yeah, John, you've, uh, <laughs> you've built on my so, skill. So, <laughs> I'm taking, so I'm taking the record. Yeah. <laughs> you get the idea. Just talk to those. What I heard the first was, yeah, walk through yeah. the framework. Yeah. yeah. All right, boom. Yeah. Gosh, you really are <laughs> good at this, I, aren't I'll you? Get I'll get Kathy to walk through the framework, but I just want to say thank you for saying that it's easy for you to connect to, because I think yes. that was something that we intentionally set out to do. Having read a lot of books about 
how to have conversations. It was always memorizing theory. And I, for me, it was like, I'm in this moment and I don't know what to say, or I'm saying what I'm supposed to say, but the result is not happening. Right. And then you're just kind of like, now what do I do? So we were very intentional with providing skills that you could use with anyone, any time, anywhere, and they'd be effective to make it easy. So thank you for saying that. Cause that was, that's really great for us to hear. <laughs> What this framework does is gives us confidence to go into any conversation. It's not about, okay, now I've got to go through step three, and then do I go three or four or five? Or It's nothing about that. It's just a different way of being. And so that as people become more accustomed to being this way and showing up this way, then they just have more ease in conversation mm. and everything that, you know, all the benefits that come from that. So we're not, we didn't want to create anything that was super complicated. Yes, that's it. The the eleven steps to more effective conversations. Immediately, I go. Yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm going to run out of steam by step five. <laughs> <laughs> well, and as we're getting stressed, as the conversation's getting harder, how can we remember? I'm what step on my own, and where am I supposed to go? I can't do that. I need something. Yeah. I'm a very simple person. I need simplicity. So that was what we went with. I think the first one was was being present, and part of being present is we use the acronym absorb attention noting body language tone of voice stop doing other things being open not judging and so what that one means that one is just so fundamental curiosity when we're closed with the stories in our head have taken over we're judging we're blaming we're limiting possibility and so to be curious one has to be open and um non-judging and just receptive to hearing what one hears are for reframe so reframing so if someone's saying something to me i could say so what i'm hearing you say or by that you mean da 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 and it may or may not be what they actually mean and so they can say yeah or no what i mean is such and such and then um the become your gremlins as the last b and so essentially what all that is saying is Stop doing everything else. Stop thinking everything else. Don't let the stories in your head, your old beliefs, all the things that can limit us, just don't let them take over with the gremlins. And instead, be open to listen to what you're hearing. And when you hear something that you don't like, dive into it instead of going, I have to stop this conversation or you're wrong or whatever. It's more about, okay, so what do you mean by that? Or but because... The more we understand, people see things differently, but the fundamentals may be exactly the same. Peter Senge has a, and I, can, I think it's in his eighth habit, um, he talks about his way of conflict resolution, which is to get the two people to agree before they sit down to resolve conflict, that one person will talk until the second person can re, re, uh, reframe it or um, repeat it back in a way the first person says, yep, that's exactly what I mean. By the time the first person, and I think this was, I'm going to say 97%, it's up around that. It, most of all the time, when the first person has finished, the second one has set it back in a way the first one agrees with, the second one says, well, that's what I was saying. Job done. Yeah. So, I mean, all that saying is that we say things differently. We're coming from different places. We have stories in our heads that are different. The fundamentals aren't that different. 
And yet we don't seek to understand what the other person's saying to get that common ground and see that we'll really, and you know, so much of this, we do agree, or we're in the same ballpark and we can move forward. So that's what that piece is about. Um, I scribbled down actually when I was reading the book. I, I got to the R on reframe through paraphrase, I think it was. And I just realized paraphrasing seems like a real super skill actually. To do that well, if you suddenly go, if like crack that, as you say, you play it back and no, that's not what I meant. Okay, well then tell me again. Or it is, as yeah. you say, okay, well, let's move on. Does this, does this yeah. resolve things? Does it get us to a different place? Yeah, I saw paraphrasing as a, a super skill, superhero skill. Yeah. 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 And it's also great in relationships. Like for if you're a parent, for instance, and your kid comes home and says, you know, so-and-so pushed me down and I'm really mad. And parents immediately want to go to fix and solve. Like that kid probably did this. And I hope you, you know, and they want to fix and solve the situation and help. And I use help in quotation marks because none of it is helpful. Or you can have a bad day and your partner, or your best friend, you should go and do this and you need to do that. And they want to fix and solve you. And I have yet to meet a person on this planet who wants to be fixed and solved or told what to do. When we're able to paraphrase back, it validates those feelings, right? It's like, wow, that sounded like a really tough situation. Or, yeah, that, that sounded like you had a really hard day. And it, it messages to the person you're speaking to, I hear you, I see you, I understand you. And that's really all we want. And then it's great. But if we get in there and start fixing and solving and telling people what to do, that will create conflict. So much of the work, uh, I'm sort of thinking through my own little lens here as well. I do so much work in the world of innovation and design, which is based around making sure we have a high, a great empathy for the people we're solving the problems for, because we want to fix with the idea that's in our head. But when we're curious and we listen and we observe and all of these things you're speaking about, all of a sudden we get a new perspective when we realize the idea that's in our heads isn't the solution you need. And this whole piece around reframing is, I've got an idea, let me test and share that idea with you so I can see if it's what you value or not, which is right at the heart of uh, innovation rather than, uh, you've said that, now I've got the solution for you. So it's, it plays so beautifully into the world, I guess, where I play in as well. But it, I love the way we're sort of reframing it into, you know, I've got so much more I can now say, oh, when we're doing this, think around those conversations as well. And have you heard of the ABSORB acronym as well? So. <laughs> <laughs> just, just on that, and, and I know you'll talk to the listening piece and the open questions piece in a, in a second, but is there one that through the work that you do, you realize people have the greatest struggle with? What is the greatest struggle for people in, in this being present, thinking about the ABSORB acronym? Is it the skill of paraphrasing? Is it the gremlins? Is it, what is it? That's a really interesting question, and I've never really thought about it. A lot well, of them kind of overlay <laughs> in, in that. Well, no, because it's it's about people just be staying in their heads, and so I'm sure the stories are going on in their heads, and they're not focused, not calm, and they're not so. But it's all happening at once. I'm not sure that there's. Can you think of one? No, I agree. It ha it's the hard part is that is being present. That's the hardest part. So we break down the acronym to help people to help them be present. And being, it can be hard and to actively listen. So the acronym helps you, okay, I'm yeah. going to actively listen. I think it's the 
being present piece that stops people from actively listening. Mm -hmm. And the gremlins, I would say, is probably the biggest piece. It's the stories we create in our head and our to-do list. And, you know, we're thinking about fixing and solving. We're listening so that we can speak to be heard and share our brilliant ideas rather than taking that step back and being present to listen, to understand, to better understand, okay, what are their needs and how can I help them? if they even want help, right? So we get in our own way really quickly. I agree. I think it really, that's the, because so many of them, the gremlins are the root of the stories in our head. Then, yeah. That's the sentence I've been scribbling down. You said it earlier, Kathy, and I scribbled that down about stories in our head, getting out of our own heads, getting out of our own way. Yeah, we are our own worst enemies in that regard because we have so much trouble getting out of our own way. Creating that space where it's not just about us, it's about others as well. And when you've got that space, then it opens it up for everybody. But if we're just constantly all the chatter in our heads and we're, we're tripping over ourselves, then we never allow that space to happen. You give us a segue there, Kathy, into the listening piece. I mean, choosing how to listen and you describe five different types of listening and which kind of feels like the levels of listening a little bit obviously we can ignore what i liked again within the book is you went into those in a bit of detail because often they, well one level of listening is ignoring but you talk about how that might work and when it might have value and i thought it was really interesting so do you want to talk to the those different types of listening for a moment Sure. Do you want to, do you want me to? But I just go for it. Okay. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> um, take one so each. You can alternate if you want. Yeah. And yeah. I'm noticing they're very curious about the questions they're asking each other here. Um, you're, 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 you're role playing this work very good. If you're arguing here, I'll go, oh, I don't know, I don't know about it. this book. <laughs> yeah. Well, the listening piece was really interesting to, to work through because I never, I don't think either one of us had really thought about it before. But I realized with because of coaching, I think when in coaching, you hold that space and you ask questions, you don't, you're not invested in the, uh, the outcome. So, I mean, if I'm coaching Kirsten or if I'm coaching someone, an employee in an organization, how they do what they do is not really of any interest to me. It's more that they figure out what they want to do. And you can tell by their voice, it changes, they get excited and you know, they're doing something that's going to work for them. And so I think that was the, the real root of it because I learned from that, that when I took that, that place of being present and giving them the space to really explore what they needed to do and begin to understand them, that was where the magic happened. And we, not all our conversations allow us to be not invested in them. You know, it, that's the role of a coach. And in some conversations, that can happen. But in lots of them, it's a, as a manager, for instance, you're really invested in, if you're having a, a hard conversation with an employee for a performance issue, you're invested in the outcome. You know, they, that might be dependent on your success. You don't want to have an employee who's not doing what they're supposed to be doing. So there are lots of situations where, or a parent with a child who's not being safe, or just there are lots of times when you are invested. So we also looked at that piece. And then we kind of worked around it. And, you know, there are lots of times when we're, well, for instance, professionals give advice. You know, you go to a doctor to get advice. They ask questions. They collect the data points. They, based on their knowledge, form judgment. 
and then give advice on what to move forward. And that's the same for lawyers, architects. I mean, it doesn't matter. All professionals do the same thing. And that's a really important piece. So it's not that you can never tell. It's more in the context of advising when requested. Whereas what Kirsten was just talking about, in so many situations, someone says, you know, whatever happened. Well, I think you should do, 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 do. That's not what I wanted. I just was venting. So I think there are also lots of times when telling doesn't work. So then we started playing with all of them and split it all out. And there are times when we just want to be quiet. You know, the classic is getting on a plane and you're tired and you don't want to talk to the person who's sitting down the seat next to you who arrives and goes, hi, you know, how are you? Where are you from? No. And so there are times when respectfully, you know, you may say, I'm really tired, please excuse me. Or it's not that people have to be rude, but respectfully, we can choose not to talk in a situation. And then we go through the others, the, the two around judging where it's coming from my space of, I would never do that. Or also looking at the other person from a judging perspective, you should never do that. Because I know you don't like such and such. So you shouldn't do that. So that's those two are clustered together. The no speaking, then choosing if you're going to get into the judging place and the two around being more open and curious, one with a vested interest in and one without. And there's presumably the, the kinship there with what we were talking about in being present is you're stuck in your own head again, aren't you? Telling and judging, you're in your own head still. You're yes. filtering things. It's all autobiographical and you're kind of then, as you say, you prescribe order, but it's all from just being stuck in here. <laughs> and when we do those conversations with ourselves, with the gremlins, we get stuck there. No, I can't possibly do that because, you know, oh no, I'm too afraid to do that. Oh, what would happen if I, and well, I did that once when I was five and look what happened. So you, it's all that narrowing down and not being open to possibility. So going back to innovation, how are you going to be innovative in, in what you're doing, um, having a more interesting life if you're constantly shutting down the conversation because of the stories in your head? When we get stuck in the ogre or the gremlin, we convince, right? We get in that place of convincing where we want to convince somebody else something, whether it's our perspective or whatever we may be. We get stuck in convincing mode and that leads to conflict. When we can stay in that place of curiosity, ask questions, open questions to better understand and keep the focus outward. Convincing is keeping the focus inward. Curiosity is the focus outward. That's where we create connection. That's where the collaboration and innovation takes place. And most of us get stuck in convincing and we think we're doing the right thing because we think we're right. We know the best. That's what society teaches us. Be an expert, you know, tell people how you feel. Everything is basically about us. What we're saying is that creates conflict in a lot of situations. It's about understanding others, getting to that place of curiosity to better understand what's going on for them. It does not compromise what you know or what you think or what you believe because it's not even about you. It's about better understanding the needs of your client, your kids, your best friend, your colleague, whatever it may be. That's where you can create the magic. That's where that collaboration and innovation comes into play. But that's also how you have relational connection, right? That's where you're building trust. And I think that, you know, it's so easy to get into that place of convincing. But as we were talking about before, we always have a choice to be curious. Yeah, I love that. Look, you must have seen this be transformational to some of the organizations you've worked with. Like, 
this is such a, a shift, not just in the words that got me think communication, I need to say this, but it's actually sort of so much deeper than that. So I guess without, you know, revealing too many of the trade secrets of the people you've worked with, you must have seen some amazing turnarounds in the way that not only people communicate, but sort of the, the end result from that on results and innovation and products and services and yeah, would that be how, how do you answer that? I'm just is it a yes or a no? <laughs> or can you tell us a little story without giving too much dropping anyone in it or not? <laughs> I mean, it's always transformational. I would say yeah. that it's always transformational and I think it's transformational in ways that people don't expect or understand. And we always say that it's a lifestyle. Like you're unlearning a lifetime of language and you're really adopting an entirely new lifestyle because it's not something that you pick and choose for just one part of your life. You don't just take these skills to work, right? It becomes an entire lifestyle. And the more you use it, the more awareness that you have of yourself and the more awareness you have of other, it just, it completely changes how you operate in the world. Just like you were saying, Simon, before, it's like that beauty, it just opens life up in such a different way. You see things differently. I mean, what, what would you say? Well, one story comes to mind and it's really old, but I was working in healthcare in, with, uh, in peds and when in a hospital that was serving a large, very large area. And so when people left with their kids, having the kids that had surgery, they've been treated, whatever, they were given a list. Here, take this home. You have to do all these things. And it was really overwhelming for parents. First of all, they were now going to be responsible in some situations for this, you know, some pretty serious things with their kids. And with not a lot of resources and they were feeling overwhelmed and they used to be given the list and then you know, we'll talk in half an hour and I'll answer any questions. But there wasn't sort of, well, I can do this or that, or it was just, here's the list. So a lot of them, from what I understand, went home and just found it too overwhelming. And some of them didn't do all the things they should have. And so then they started calling, you know, more phone calls, more trips down, more pressure, all these things. So instead, they started giving the list to the parents and saying, we want you to look at this for the next few minutes. And then let us know what on this list will be easy for you to accomplish. What's doable for you? What will be more difficult for you? So the parents now have control over, well, I can do this and this, but I'm not sure about that. Well, actually, this one's the most important one. So what's it going to take for you to put that in number one? They went through the conversation around exploring how parents were going to be able to, to do what needed to be done with their child. given. You know, they may live in the country and have five kids and, you know, how, how is this going to work? So they looked at all of the, the facts there and what was important to the parents and what could be doable. And then they were able to adjust things accordingly. And the outcomes were, were obviously much better because the parents were more invested, less overwhelmed and feeling they were going to be able to help their child, which is all they really want to do in the first place. As our show is called The Occupational Philosophers, each and every week we like to run what we call thought experiments in the tradition of philosophers throughout time, things that expand our mind, take us to a new way of thinking, you know, reframe the way we might look and take in uh, information. 
And this week, the thought experiment is a little bit of uh, mother and daughter bingo. <laughs> so look, you need to be very fast and curious with this. So what we're going to do, we're going to present a series of sayings which might be commonly heard between a parent and a child. Now, it is a it is a little bit of a competition. You get one point if you buzz in because you can identify if either of the other person has said it to you in this uh, mother-daughter dynamic. <laughs> An additional point for saying when it happened. Okay, I can remember that. That was this time. So we need to distinguish between both of you. So, Kathy, you're going to call out bingo, and Kirsten, you're going to call out bango. Bango. Okay, so if you, yeah, bango. Do you want to so. practice that, Kathy? <laughs> Kathy, Kirsten, just so nice and clear. Bango. Okay. Bingo. Got it. Bingo. Okay, okay, all good, okay. all good. So what will happen is if you can remember either of the even the other person saying this, you call out bingo or bango. And then if you can say, okay, this was the time when it happened, then we'll that another point as well. So have either of you, mother or daughter, ever heard or said something like this? You are so embarrassing. <laughs> oh. Bango, no, I'm bingo. sure I've said that. Oh, I know. I'm sure. <laughs> no, bingo, I remember when. <laughs> okay, so there's, there's a point there for Bango. Now, what was the story? Well, the story, <laughs> Kirsten was probably about 10 years old. And I had we were taking a road trip across Canada. And I bought a new bathing suit. <laughs> <laughs> and it went up high neck and sleeveless like it covered in the front there was no back to it but the front was totally covered except i hadn't really looked at the construction of it and so we were in a lake on the prairies in a place that were tons of people on the beach we went in swimming and i <laughs> I stood up to get out of the water and every man on the beach sat up and I turned around to say, what's going on? And Kristen said, oh, mom, you're so embarrassing. <laughs> her suit was completely see-through. Like, <laughs> no suit. Yeah. <laughs> I remember that one. <laughs> oh, gosh, I'm going to give you an extra bonus three points there. <laughs> I like, I had it looked at the construction of the suit. Very technical. <laughs> uh, I think right, we can I, end I, it there, can we? <laughs> That's better than anything I thought we were going to get in terms of a story. All right. John. <laughs> oh, dear. Has either one of you ever said this? What did your last slave die of? What was that? What did your last slave die of? Oh, oh. That would be you. Oh. <laughs> is, that a, is that a bingo? Is that a bingo? That's a bingo. So a point. Uh, that's a bingo. That's a bingo. Yeah. Um, which of many times as a teenager? My husband says that all the time. Is that an English saying? He's English and he always says that. What did, what did your last slave die? Um, <laughs> English or Australian? I said that. I'm sure, I'm sure that I can't recall one specific incident, but yeah, they, that was something they said as teenagers. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I laughed at that. I say that to my, my mum used to say it to me all the time. And I say it to my two teenage boys now and they're like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now, this one, 
So if all your friends jumped off a cliff, would you do that as well? I am going to say, I feel like if you haven't said those words that I remember, I have a visceral, like I know those words were said to me as a kid from my parents, but I can't say a specific, like that sentiment. Are you going to follow your your friends and all the stupid things that they do? Not said like that, but that was the uh -huh. intention. So I feel like that was probably said, but I can't give a specific bango. bango. It's a bango. Like, bango. bango. <laughs> thanks, thanks, Kathy, for I'm making sure she made the correct buzzer sound there. <laughs> Some people just don't follow the rules, Kathy. So uh, we've tried, but they. Okay. That's another saying. I'm uh, in my own path here, over here. <laughs> All right, John. Next one. Uh, here we go. This might follow a similar vein, but when you get your own place, you can do what you want. But until then, you follow my rules. <laughs> that would be a bingo. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping so. <laughs> oh, Once dear. again, I know as as you got older, actually, <laughs> you know, maybe not as I say that because Kirsten was pretty, yeah, she was a competitive athlete. So the pushing the boundaries was not a huge thing. You probably said it to my brother. Oh, I, oh but I, sure. I, have, but I, I don't think you ever actually said it to me because I have had conversations with people around that. And I do remember thinking, no, my parents never sort of said, when you live under our roof, you abide by our yeah. rules. And that was never, that was not your ammo and no. how you guys raised us. No. Maybe with Dave, I can't, I don't know, but he had a different, he had a different path than I did. Yes. This, this game works better with people of uh, families of high conflict. So <laughs> <laughs> now just, just to finish this off, I'm not sure whether this would have come up, but uh, could be either way. You are not going out dressed like that. <laughs> I don't think, think back, I would. No. That we're back to the swimsuit, aren't we? I, I <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you might have said that to me. <laughs> Maybe I might have said it to my mom. Like, what are you wearing? <laughs> Normally, it's a parent that says that, and yeah, no. I don't have any memories of that. No, no. We always, I was a firm believer in don't sweat the small stuff. And what people wore usually came under the don't sweat the small stuff. Yeah, but fair I, enough. I, but I was always, as an athlete, it was pretty safe what I was wearing in terms of some parents. I think it's harder than others. And I was just never fell into that category. Oh, you guys yeah. are so nice. Well done. So it's been, very, <laughs> it's, been, it's been very rewarding having this thought experiment. You might be slightly amazed to know we haven't kept any score whatsoever. <laughs> Although I could arbitrarily say, Kathy, you got seven points and Kirsten. Yeah. <laughs> You got six points. There we go. I think Kathy's going to have it. Certainly, I think for for the swim. No, I story. did. I did score, John. Oh, uh, did you? Bango oh, was God. four, but Bango lost one for breaking the rules, and we're back to three. Bingo was uh, four and stayed at four. So, Bingo, you are the winner. Okay, it's time for a rapid fire round. So straight into the questions. What's one thing you couldn't do without in your life right at this moment? Me, I'll go first. That's easy for me. It's this um, workout that I do every morning called LAK Fit and I jump on a rebounder, but it's the one thing that keeps me sane, grounded, focused. It's like everything I need to keep me to be the best mom, partner, business partner, everything. It's everything I need. 
I could live without it, but I choose not to. And for me, it would be hiking in the uh, woods behind us. Lovely. Is there a, a go-to coaching question that really works for you, that opens people up to be more curious and creative and imaginative? Kathy, maybe I'll come to well, you. Well, I think the question that if you asked any of my clients is the question that I am known for asking is, what are you curious about? And I say that because so many people get stuck in situations and they become frustrated and they don't know where to go next because they're getting their own way, as we've talked about. And so I just stop and say, and then they get to the point where they say, okay, now you're going to ask, what am I curious about? So I have to think about that. So I think that that's the question that I use the most that gets me the most traction in helping people get unstuck and moving in ways they want to move. Yeah, I, I'm not, I don't have a lot of the same. It's funny, that question I always think, because I always think of you saying like, what are you curious about? For me, working with parents, I always, the questions that come up are always, what are you afraid of and what do you need? Because I find there's so much fear underneath parenting. And then what do you need? Because parents don't ever put their needs first. And so those tend to be the ones where people are like, oh, I never thought of it like that. Now, we are building the Occupational Philosophers Manifesto, as in the 10 things we think you need to be a great occupational philosopher with curiosity at its heart. But we're also building the Occupational Philosophers Manigesto. And you might see what we did there with that fancy bit of our limerick work. So what one thing of all your learning do you think should be included on our Manigesto? Open, non-judging. Yeah, being curious. Yeah. Curious in conversations. Let me quantify that. I think for us, really, when we talk about curiosity, it's being curious in conversations to understand others. And I think I'm it's saying open and non-judging because a lot of people say, well, I am curious. And they're not. So I think digging down to yeah. what creates that. Fantastic. It's sometimes easier. Is there a book we should be reading? <laughs> the Power of Curiosity. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> it's an Amazon bestseller. Everybody should get a copy. It's the perfect gift for, you know, the person that has everything. And, you know, it's teachers, great teacher gift. Mm. We do a lot of work with teachers. They love it. Parents, everybody. It's like that go-to gift for anybody, wouldn't you say? Mm -hmm. It's the book that makes hard conversations easy. Nice. Now, Imagine it's the both of you. It's uh, come to the uh, sort of you know, the later years, and you're being introduced at your retirement home. You've been taken into the dining room. Everyone's playing a bit of bingo, maybe, and uh, everyone looks around. You're introduced, and they say, "Okay, here's uh, here's Kathy. Here's Kirsten. How would you like to be introduced?" Oh my gosh! <sighs> well, I have a friend who actually, and she was. Um, a friend whom I met in her elder years and she was in a retirement home and she was a huge inspiration for me. And the reason she was an inspiration was because she was an amazing listener. She wanted everyone to bring the world to her. So she listened and asked questions. And so I have to say, if I ever am in the situation of, and I used to say that, tell her how much she inspired me for when I got older, because so many older people, I think, maintain their identity or to feel that they're still part of wor the world. They want to tell the same stories over and over again. 
And so she never did that. She chose to listen and allow the world to come to her. And I would want to be that way. Gosh, I don't even know how to answer this question. I feel like I'm young. I'm like a work in progress. Sure, surely, Kirsten, you, Kirsten, you, you, progress. I thought you'd be saying, Kirsten, what am I doing here? This is my mum's here. What am I doing here? That's exactly it. What am I doing here? <laughs> Visiting my mom. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I'm not either. <laughs> I thought you might be saying, "Where's my LAK fit uh, piece?" Because yeah. I've got some, I got some stuff to do. I will, so, be, that's, yeah. will be with me too. I'll be bringing my rebounder. Where's my space and my my, my you know music hookup? <laughs> so, as we wrap up, uh, what are you up to next? What's happening? Well, we got lots of live. We're filling out this end of the year with some live trainings with doctors, and we've got some Australians and some um, lawyers and I don't, we're just wrapping up. We were going to the university to talk to some students. We just got, a, we're wrapping up the end of the year and sharing, you know, curious conversations, helping people be more open and curious. And I think we're also looking at how, what we do can be applied to the world that today. My fundamental, and Kristen laughs at this a little bit, but my, at least I think so. My fundamental belief is we can change the world one conversation at a time but the world is changing faster than conversations. So how do we frame what we do in a way that will hold more meaning for the world as it continues to change? I don't, I don't like that at all. Well, I always thought you (laughs) limiting belief, (laughs) limiting belief. (laughs) story in the head. I'm calling bingo. (laughs) (laughs) I hope, I hope bingo and bingo sort of comes out. I maybe have a Christmas dinner or something like that. I'm calling bingo on that. (laughs) Where where can we find you, buy you, you know, connect with you, buy you virtual drinks or even some, uh, you know, real drinks if we bump you. So how's the best way for us to follow, connect, and like some of the great stuff that you do. Instituteofcuriosity.com. You can always find us there. We have lots of free things that people can download. And we're on Instagram at Institute of Curiosity. And all you can connect with Kathy and I directly on the website. We love connecting with people from all over the world. Reach out. And, you know, we'd love to hear from you in ways that we can support you. And we do work with people we... in other countries. Now that with virtual being so mm-hmm. available. Yeah. Okay. And can we find you on LinkedIn as well if we do a yes. little search? Yeah, there. we're on LinkedIn and we're on Facebook as well at Institute of Curiosity. I will. Here's what I'll say about the social stuff because people, they think that because I'm in my 40s that I am like all over social media and huh. I'm not anti-technology, but I am pro-conversation. And so we are there, but we love when people call us and just want to connect yeah. is what I'm trying yes. to say. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So we're not so big that, you know, you can't reach us because that's something that we are very intentional about. You know, it's, I think, rebuilding those connections with people where they feel like there is, we're real people and we love to connect in real time and in real life. Well, it only remains to say thank you so much, Kathy, Kirsten. It really has been a pleasure. It's been lovely to have you both join us, share your insights and wisdom it's a fantastic book as well which was one of the sparks for this that i saw that and i just said there's so much to explore so much to learn from what you've been doing and the way you've distilled that into the book so thank you so much uh, really enjoyed it well thank you yes. yeah thank you for for inviting us it's, it was great and look you. 
as we always say with that, I always think like, how did that time go so quickly? I've got so many more questions to ask. So <laughs> yeah. look, and, uh, I just literally feel like we scraped the surface. And again, but I say this every time, I just, I learn so much on my notes and you start to make all these different connections, which I wouldn't have made before. So look, I feel like there's a, uh, this is going to be a great gift to give people, especially in some of the work I do in innovation and design. I think this is such a beautiful compliment in a way I hadn't even fully explored or thought of this, you know, how curiosity just runs through everything we do. So look, yeah, thanks so much. It's been a pleasure. Have a wonderful end of the year. And John, your, your hand. Yeah, well, I was just going to say, just wait till my, my family open their presents on Christmas Day. <laughs> hey, yeah. this looks like a great book. Yes, it is, Mum and my brother <laughs> and my sister. I think it's going to help over the Christmas dinner. <laughs> John, what a... Great show as always. And look, I can literally, if I go back through when we go to this section, I'm sure I always say what a great show, but great guests, great energy, great insight. Love their take on the world of curiosity through communication and man, the links to so much stuff. Yeah. What a great, what a great, what great guests. What, what's great your guess. top yeah. takeaways? Uh, yeah, no, it was a real delight to have a mother and daughter uh, double guest episode i just thought that was a really interesting dynamic that absolutely you could just see how well they work together are together it was delightful to see um and they they really liked each other you could see that so yeah yeah and if you yeah. run a business with yeah. uh your your mum or your dad or you know anyone in your family man you're doing something right so i'm saying they're practicing all this stuff very well <laughs> they 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 definitely are but, and they're a great fun as well so uh my takeaways would be I think getting out of your own head, which kind of building off one of the big themes in their book about curiosity, which was being present and the idea that you've just got your own stories playing through your head and everything you hear, if that's happening, is is you judging things and filtering things, et cetera, from your own perspective rather than actually trying to actually understand someone else. So you've got to get out of your own head to truly understand someone. So that was number one. The second point builds off that, which is that don't confuse understanding with liking and agreeing, which is something I will hear myself say in various sessions with clients, whereby that we can understand someone's perspective. It doesn't necessarily mean we have to agree with it, but it gets us to a better place if we do understand it. And then the final thing, all building, that Kirsten framed it as, you know, convincing is inward focused. It's trying to get your message through. It's trying to convince someone else of your position or whatever whereas curiosity is very outward focused and looking and we have a choice and so that thing about choice and being intentional resonated with me as well so yeah lots of good stuff in there for me and for you and for everybody else who's listening in how about you i went i really like the curious not furious <laughs> uh, a nice little tagline because I'm sure I can apply a lot of this to my uh, to my own world. I like the curiosity allows opportunities to present themselves. So there is data points everywhere if we are curious to see them. And often we think, oh, you know, data quantitative, but no, those qualitative ones where we just you know open our eyes and you know look around and see the world around us. And I'm going to repeat your one, John, was just just be present. Like take away everything else. Like, you know, this framework, this that framework, that acronym, do this, do that. Just be present. Like, just stop, turn off the monkey brain and, okay, I'm just going to sit and be truly engaged in this conversation. 
and that drives so much stuff from there, you know, because that allows you to be curious. So, you know, just turn off the monkey mind, turn off your phone. I'm going to sit here and, and be part of this. <laughs> so I think that's a wrap, as they say. What do we want yes. people to do? Having listened well, John, to this. What I would love is if you can subscribe and leave a rating. Now, look, easier said, hard to do, because how many ratings have you given to podcasts? I'm like one, maybe. <laughs> so, look, if you're sitting there thinking, oh, I'm liking the show, give us a rating. The reason being is it helps other people to find us, helps us uh, move up the charts as well, so more people can join our world of uh, being a little bit more creative, a little bit more curious, and a little bit more imagination. And here's some of the wonderful guests that we have. So join, I love it if join you the could. movement, join the movement, man. <laughs> I would love it if you could uh, tell your friends, but also uh, leave a rating as well. That would be absolutely awesome. Check out the website occupationalphilosophers.com. Get in touch. You can get in touch through the website. You can get in touch on our socials if you want, which I think are somewhere on the yeah, website. <laughs> <laughs> watch out the socials are going to kick off next year they're going to kick 2023 off. That's my is the, year, out. Of what the a year of john's going to get a new paint job on his fax machine as well so he'll be sitting by that ready oh here comes one. Ooh, here we go oh like it oh no just a reprint so <laughs> but look most importantly if you've been listening to the show we'd like you to head out another week being highly curious be creative play more Make stuff, have fun, but most importantly, John, date life. Now, John, I remember uh, my mum saying to me when I was younger, if you don't eat this food tonight, you're going to be eating it for breakfast. And yeah. guess what? Yeah. I've still got some Brussels sprouts in 1982. <laughs> <laughs>